Okay. Father, we just really um, ask you to be with us, Father. Father, when we, when we hear what you've said from your Bible, Father, from your scripture, I pray that it goes into our hearts, Lord. Not just our heads, but our hearts. You know every person here, you know what they need to hear. So, Father, I just really pray that we would receive what you have for us today. Um, be with us, Lord. Be with us, in Jesus' name. I'm going to talk about um, the journey of faith today. Oh, thanks. Um, I'm going to talk about the journey of faith. And faith is hard to describe. You know it when you have it, but it's hard to describe. Hmm. A number of years ago, Bruce and I were, went to Disney World. And Disney World is called the happiest place on earth, but this day it definitely wasn't for us. It was July 4th. Why we decided to go on July 4th, I have no idea. But we had four kids at that point, and um, the youngest was in a stroller. And it was very, very, very hot, near 100 degrees. And over the loudspeaker, the announcement said, this has been a banner day. We have the most people at Disney World than we have ever had. I'm thinking, wow, aren't we fortunate to be here on this day? It was literally so packed that we were like sardines moving here and there. So we went, we went to one of the exhibits, came out, and my stroller had been stolen. And if you have a toddler, you know you don't want to carry that toddler all around Disney World. You want your stroller back. And now I'm not your, your you know, some people have tremendous faith all the time. I'm not like that. Okay, and normally I would just be really upset. This time, as soon as I saw that stroller was gone, I got this sense, you're going to find this stroller. And I went on a hunt. Bruce, Bruce, I took, I took Bruce's hand, the kids' hands, and we, we just, we went, if you know Disney World in this section, it's got a lot of little corners and a lot of little, you know, um, places that you can go. And I knew exactly where to go. It was amazing. And we, I took the kids and Bruce and we just went here and there and here and there. And in about 10 minutes, I got to a place and there was my stroller. And that was faith. That was faith. I knew that I knew that I knew. And nobody could have take, t- told me and said, don't do that. That's a waste of time. Because I knew that God had given me the word that I was going to find that stroller and he was going to lead me. And that's just a wonderful, when you have that and you know that you know, that's that gift from God that's so wonderful to experience. You know, sometimes, you know, faith um, can sometimes startle us like it did at that point. I didn't expect to be this faith woman on that day when I got up. But, um, and I know that's a small thing. But there are many times as believers that that faith gets dropped into our spirits and we just know that we know that we know. Sometimes our faith is weak and we have to fight for it. We have to say, I know this is what God has said. I know this. But you have to fight for it because there's a lot of other people or a lot of other circumstances um, or just your own thoughts that are looping around that say, that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. So then you have to fight for that faith that's in you because at this point, it's kind of weak. But having faith is not magic. 
They're, it's not like we can do um, cantations and memorize words and have formulas. That's not what faith is. We're not magicians. We're believers in Jesus. And what it, what it really, the beginning of faith is really this relationship, vibrant relationship we have with Jesus. So it's not like what the world does with magic or even with their um, self-help groups where they learn certain ways to behave and they learn certain things to say. It's not that at all. The way we believers live is by the Spirit. That's how we live and that's how our faith grows. You know, even the disciples, after seeing Jesus do so many amazing things, they asked the question, Jesus, how do we increase our faith? And then he went on to answer, answer them, but basically what he said was you need to have a relationship with me, is what he said. So I'm going to talk, I've been looking at this whole subject of faith and um, studying Abraham, and we could, we could take a whole year and talk about Abraham. I'm talking about him in 30 minutes so you got to bear with me. It's, there's a, so much more that could be said here. Um, he's pretty popular in the Bible. He's, um, he's mentioned 60 times just in the New Testament. He's mentioned a whole lot more than Moses in the Old Testament. He's, I, I had a surprise once. I was in uh, Egypt once and, um, in my late 20s, and I was on a tour, and the tour guide said was... I don't know, he was, we were somewhere, and he said, and our father is Abraham. And I was like, what? Abraham's my father. And, you know, he's the Jew's father. And here's this Abraham, who is the biological father of the Jews and the Arabs, and out of him came three major religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So most of the world sees Abraham as their father. And Paul really liked Abraham. He said a lot about him. Um, Says he's the father of them who believe. Um, James calls him a friend of God. A friend of God. That's why when we look at Abraham and see that, we know that we can be a friend of God. We know that we can do that. We can be our friend. Um, Paul also says, lists them in that champions of faith list in Hebrews, and he calls them the man of faith. Faith and Abraham almost always go together when, you're, when Scripture talks about him. He's the man of faith. Um, there's also, Paul talks about that we as believers will all be given the blessing of Abraham, which, man, we could talk about that for days. Um, so what made Abraham a man of faith. How do we increase our faith? So, let's see. First, first uh, thing, yeah. Um, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his possession, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Has God ever told you to do something but doesn't tell you what the end's going to be? He just says, do this, and you see the first step, but you don't see the step after, the step after, the step, step after? Well, that was Abraham. He was in a, a wealthy culture. He was in a successful culture. People think that he was probably a very successful man in his culture. And here he's called by God to just 
pick up and leave, but he had no idea where he was going at that point. He's asked to leave his culture. He's asked to leave his family. And what's interesting about that is he actually takes his father and Lot along. Both, both choices were probably, you can see later on, caused him some trouble. But one of the keys of Abraham's faith was that he obeyed. And it looks like he obeyed really quickly. God just told him something, and he did it. So that's, that's a good key for us to understand. When God tells us to do something, we need to go do it. We need to go do it. Um, one of the things you see, there are three things I really see in Abraham. The first one is he had faith while he was a success. Look at um, the next verse. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. And this is, um, this is Jesus in Matthew. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You know, I, I know that verse, and I know for the last several hundred years, people have said that there's this gate called the eye of the needle in Israel. But then I've also found out that nobody's ever found that gate. And so they don't really know what this scripture means. It's obvious, though, that Jesus is saying that it's difficult. We know that, that in scripture, some wealthy people were believers. So we know that you can become saved. But what Jesus is obviously saying, it is much more difficult if you're rich. I think Abraham's a really good model for us in America. Because we're, we're a wealthy nation. Even our poor tend to be much wealthier than, than, than the wealthy people in some other nations, in developing nations. Um, but Abraham was able to have faith in God while successful, while being wealthy. Um, Sharon Trainer was just, um, and the dance team was just in Nicaragua. And one of the things Sharon said that was so amazing to her is they were around very, very, very poor people. That's one of the things that happens when you go to a developing country. You just realize how poor people can be. But the believers there were so hungry for God. Like that was their main desire. Not that they become wealthy, but they get in touch with the living God. And, and I've seen that over and over and over again. There's something about people in Africa, the poor people in Africa that are believers. That's what you see, their hunger for God. And um, we don't have that so much here. We really don't, because people tend to be successful. We can tend to meet our own needs. We tend not to need God. And, um, you know, but here you've got, here you have Abraham who is really wealthy and successful, and you see him throughout scripture often making these altars where he worships God. He puts himself in a place where he's constantly telling God, I need you, and I worship you, and you are the one that I worship. You know, I, I decided um, to do this teaching that I would look up something that I'd heard of called the Powerball Lottery Curse, and I got so depressed reading it, I actually am not going to give you any, any stories about the people. But um, 70% of the people that win the lottery um, wind up bankrupt a few years later. 
there's also seems to be disaster that follows a lot of these people who win the Powerball. Like, horrible things come upon these people. There's like this curse that happens. And I've heard so many people, even believers, say, oh, if I could only win the Powerball. You know what a better thing to say is? Oh, if I could only get closer to God. That is like a much better, safer route to take. Um, Okay, number two. Abraham had faith even after he failed. This is really important because I see a lot of believers kind of going away from God after they have failed in some way. Abraham was human. Um, Look at Genesis 12.10. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Now, here's this real man of faith. He's often making these altars. Now, he's just made an altar before this verse. He's just made an altar at Bethel. And he's worshiping God there. And he's caring about God. And he's hearing from God. And then the famine comes in. And there's no indication here in Scripture that he's heard from God to go to Egypt. What he does is he just decides to go to Egypt. It's kind of a gut reaction. I'm in trouble. There's a famine here. So I'm going to leave the land that God promised me, and I'm going to go to Egypt. Now, Egypt in Scripture is almost always a symbol of alliance with the world. And that's what he decides to do. He says, you know what? I can have faith for this. I can have faith for this. I can leave leave my culture. I can go when I don't even know where I'm going famine, that's too much. And so I've got to get myself out of trouble here. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, we all have that. Faith is something really interesting in that I could have lots of faith. Here's a good example. I have a lot of faith in praying for people with mental illness, with clinical depression or anxiety. I've been through depression and anxiety that lasted many years, and the depression especially was like a, a, a coat on me, a heavy blanket, maybe is a better description. And when I got freed of that, something happened in me where I was so angry that the enemy had kept me in that kind of bondage for so long, and my family, I have a family history of it, that I wanted to go after any depression in any person that I could find. You know, I have lots of faith for that. It has to go. Now, I have, I've had a harder journey with physical healing. My mom was physically ill, maybe. I mean, nobody ever found anything, but she was in bed most of my childhood. And when you've had that experience, there's something about it where that is just harder for me to, to do. Although what's really weird is sometimes, many times, I've prayed for people for healing, and they've been healed. So, of course, that builds up my faith. But it hasn't been the easy journey that it has been with the depression and anxiety. So you can have faith in one area and not in the other. That's kind of why we need each other, right? One of the reasons we need each other. So this was Abraham's test. And I do feel God tests us. Um, I think what he does is he knows what our reactions are going to be. He knows. But we don't know. We don't know who we are. So what he does is he puts us in a situation 
um, where or allows us, maybe that's a better word for it. I mean, he didn't want Abraham to go to Egypt, but Abraham decided to go there. So God let him go there to show Abraham who he was in that situation. He got into terrible trouble. If you know the story, he, had his, he asked his wife to lie about herself and say that she was his sister so that Pharaoh wouldn't kill him. He had a lot of, he had a lot of fears. He was really scared that the Pharaoh was going to go after him. And so then Pharaoh decided to bring um, Sarah into his harem. Poor Sarah. You know, the thing is, when you act out of unfaith, When you act out of that gut-wrenching, I'm going to take care of myself, it doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody around you. And there, you know, Abraham put Sarah into a terrible situation that was bad. It was kind of a catastrophe. could have been much worse. But um, he was able, by God's grace, to get out of there. Are you worried I'm going to fall on that, huh? You know, so Abraham didn't always trust in God's provision. We tend to trust in God's provision in areas where our faith has been built up. But when it's an area that our faith hasn't been built up, if we don't wait on God to get that faith built up, we'll tend to try to take care of ourselves or do something that will compensate for that. I have a lot of compassion for Abraham. Um, 15 years ago, I mean, most of you know, we went through a really, really hard time. We had been a community, extremely close community for 25 years. And then out of the blue, we had just a really incredibly difficult time. And a lot of our friends that we had built relationship up with for years left. And the pain that I felt was absolutely overwhelming. And for five weeks, I took, um, we went to the beach for two of those weeks, and I rented a bike, and um, I just rode my bike tons of, tons of hours and just begged God to get me out of the ministry. I said, I, I can't do this. I just can't do this. I can't be in this kind of pain. And um, God was pretty quiet for most of that time and um, kind of let me just vent invent, invent for about five weeks. And at the end of those five weeks, he said, the problem, the problem with what happened, he held up a mirror to me. He said, isn't what you think it is. He said, the problem is your friends were more important than me. And so, and he was right. And it was at a point, he's really good at speaking exactly when you can hear it. And it brought me up to the... And he said, I'm not, I'm not having you lay down ministry. I want you to change your priorities. He said, no longer will your friends be your priority, but I'm going to be your priority in ministry. So that really changed so much in me. It was like, you know, if, if we did altars, I would have built an altar right there and have named it. I would have called it mirror because God showed me my heart and showed me that I had really done things wrong. And, and even to this day, one of my major prayers is, if you see that, because I tend to make really close relationships and I love the people of God. 
I mean, every time someone even goes just because they're moving, it hurts. I mean, emotions are emotions. You know, they're just, I don't know if I'll ever change in that. I love the people of God. This is my family. So when people leave, it really hurts me very deeply. But I'm constantly asking God, check me out. Check me out. If there is any friendship or friendships that I'm putting over you as my first priority, just tell me. Please tell me. Because I, I'm sold out for God being first. Sometimes we don't know he's not first. But I want to know that he's first in my life. Um, so Abram's faith is shown by the way he handles failures. Let's go to the next verse, please. So Abram left Egypt. This is after, oh, you know how he finally figures out he'd made the wrong move? The Pharaoh, ungodly Pharaoh, rebukes him and says, you shouldn't have done this. And so then he leaves and he goes back to the promised land. So Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev. I'm not saying that right, right, Jeff? Negev, okay, along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages. Isn't that interesting? By stages toward Bethel. Bethel where, is where he last made his last altar. So he's traveling back to where he began before he went to Egypt. And they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar and there he worshiped the Lord again. That took courage and determination and perseverance. He realized at this point that he'd gone wrong, he'd made wrong choices, and he followed back to where he had the last relationship with God. And, you know, this is figurative to a certain extent. I don't know what that looks like for any of us, but there is a place that we need to get to after we've taken a wrong turn, where we need to, kind of like our GPS, we need to recalculate, and we need to get back to that relationship with God that we once had. Before you do anything else when you failed, you can't go around like a chicken with your head cut off trying to repair everything. That's not where you begin. Where you begin is at that altar worshiping God. That's the place. That's the place where you begin, and Abraham showed that. Okay, having faith during times of contention. We as believers are always going to have times of contention where people are going to be angry with you, or you're going to be angry with people, and bad things happen. We're always going to have that on this earth. Um, So here, maybe he should have let Lot stay were in the original place where he came from, Ur. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, For we are brethren, is not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. 
That's an incredible, this is a traditional culture. This is a culture where being old, it's not like our culture, but being older and the, el- you know, the elder people were considered the most honored and the most respected. This is unheard of. Even if Abram, Abraham had offered that to Lot, Lot being the younger should have said, no, 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 I respect you. You are my elder. Where do you want to go? Lot didn't do that. And Abram, in fact, what it says is he just looked up, saw the best land, and he took it. But Abram, Abraham was able to say that. It shows a lot about his character. It shows a lot about his character that he was so clear on what God had for him, the vision God had for him, that he didn't see, he didn't see that Lot was a threat to that. You see the confidence that he had to be able to do that? He wasn't threatened by Lot taking the best part because Abraham knew that God, God had it for him. He didn't have to trust in him himself. He didn't have to trust, and he didn't have to feel threatened by Lot. You know, um, many of you know this, but our last child is adopted. She's 28 years old now. And um, eight years before she was born, I had a very vivid dream that she was going to be my daughter, and our daughter. And... Um, you know, eight years came and went, and then we, she came into our lives, and we adopted her. It was a pretty incredible thing. However, before we actually decided to adopt her, there were a lot of obstacles. And one of the things that happened was a good friend of ours, who we had, um, we had um, recognized his ability to be a prophet in our... This was not Steve Bucklew. You don't know him, okay, that I'm talking about. Um, but he came to us... And he said, if you adopt Jenna, you and Bruce will get divorced. So, and he was someone we respected. And, but the thing is, I had a vision. I had a vision that I'd waited for eight years for. I had a vision. So it didn't matter what he said, because I had a vision. I didn't have to feel threatened by that. I didn't have to be upset. When you have a vision from God, it produces faith in you. And no one can tell you it's not right. Because if you have faith for something, you know, once again, it's hard to describe. But when you have it, you have it. You know, God is the one. God's the one who gives us faith. He's the one who, it's a gift. Um, But you have to be with God to get it. You know, I'm not saying God never gives a gift to somebody who doesn't seek him. But most of the time, faith increases because we're with God and he gives that faith to us. You know, I was, um, I, I've had a period of time um, in the last few weeks where I've had some worries and I'm not normally a worrier. And it's just, you know, you know when you're worrying because the thoughts loop and loop and loop and loop. And it was about provision, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm going, to read, I'm going to read a section of scripture. It's long. I'm just going to tell you it's long, but nobody says it better than Jesus. So, you know, I could just condense it. I don't want to. So let's go to what he says. Yes, a person is a fool to store up um, earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. 
Then turning to the disciples, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough of food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Now Solomon in those days, you just said the name Solomon, and you thought of this amazing wealth and beauty. But you know, how did the lilies get their beauty? They just are. They're being who they're meant to be, which is what God wants for every one of us, to be who we're meant to be, to just be who our creation is. Um, look at the lilies. They don't work out. Wait, ah, I'm having a hard time reading this. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God so carefully... Um, so wonderfully cares for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, which is why everybody always is looking for success, right? Because those thoughts dominate. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. And I love this last verse. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Okay, I'm just going to let you enter into my world a little bit. So I'm getting these thoughts, and they're rolling and rolling and rolling in my head. And I just go before the Lord, and I say, you know, I. and it was interesting. I wasn't looking for scripture. This was actually the next section I was supposed to read for our small group on Thursday. So it was like, that was what was, I mean, God is amazing how he plans out details. So I'm reading this, and I get to this line about ravens. And I said, I don't think that was ever in there. Because <laughs> uh, I thought they were sparrows, not ravens. And this verse says, ravens. Well, ravens are despicable birds. They're just despicable birds. And in the Jewish culture, they, they are the lowest of the low. They're unclean. They're just bad birds. And yet God cares for them. You see, God cares for all his creation. And there's such a thing as a rhema word. And what that means, I mean, you can read lots of scripture and it doesn't seem to like get into you. But then suddenly, it's a little bit like faith. Suddenly, something pops out. And that word ravens popped out at me. And I felt God say, you're worth so much more than ravens. Can you trust me in this? You have a vision. Can you trust me that I will, I'm there for that vision because I put it in your heart? So there was my rhema word, and it popped into me. You know, that is how faith grows. But I guarantee you, if I hadn't taken the time to come before the Lord, and when you're worried, honestly, that's the last thing you want to do. I'm just going to be honest with you. You feel like you need to do. You need to get to Egypt, make your organization, you know, put everything together, do everything you can. Um, We're sheep. When we get scared, we run. 
So, you know, but I've been around the barn many times. <laughs> around the barn. I've been around the barn many times. You know, and that never works out really well for me. So I'm reading this scripture, and that, that rhema word comes to me, and I go, okay, okay, there's the word. And it's by hearing the word that we get faith. Amen. You understand that? That's how it is. God speaks things into being. So when we hear him speak, something gets lit up inside of us. Something gets lit up. You know, I've always been uncomfortable with the idea of God is a rewarder of people. I feel that's unfair. I don't like rewards. I don't like the whole concept. And I have, I have, I have 10 grandkids, another one on the way. I love all of them. I love absolutely every single one of them. Um, and yet there are a few of them who go after me. Like, are constantly asking me to be with them. You know, Grammy, can you come over? Grammy, can you play games with me? Grammy, can you do this? Can you do that? And I realized the other day I was um, over playing games with some of my grandkids. And God said to me, now do you understand my reward system? Because I do more for those kids. It's the truth, you know? It's just the truth. It's not that I love them any better. But they are always hungry for more and more of my time. And so I give it. Where the others are, frankly, really busy. And, you know, I may see some of them just once or twice a year. So do you see the difference? And I, that dropped into me. God is a lavish giver. He says, draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. It's a promise. Um, look at this last verse, this last thing. Okay, there it is. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. See, that's us. You, you need to keep this relationship going. Um, as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself. This is so cool. And I never saw this before. I, I, this was a rhema word for me in the last few weeks. I tell you the truth. He himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. Did you know that Jesus wants to feed you. He wants you to sit and relax, that he wants to wait on us. I mean, my first reaction is, no, 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 Jesus. No, no, this is out of order. I will wait on you. I will do this. I'll minister to you. And the first thing he does is show his servant heart towards us. So, now Abraham was a real man of faith. He, he was able to live out this wonderful, close friendship with God. And God really wants that for us. He wants us to come to him regularly. I, my small group is, is thinking about starting to practice um, practicing his presence, where you bring in God, try to bring God in every single moment. Um, it's a great experiment, and it really produces a lot of good things. But 
there's got to be times in your day where you come before him and you say, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you you're my dad. Thank you that you care about me. Thank you that you provide for me, that you know my beginning and my end, and that you are good to me, and that you are merciful. Thank you, God. Thank you that you worked out that relationship, and I didn't need to worry about it. You just worked it out. Thank you that you go before me in this day. You go before me, and you, you already see the concerns and the obstacles, and you're there walking with me through that. Thank you that you are almighty. Thank you that there's nothing that stops your love towards me and towards people. Thank you of who you are. So you open your heart up, and that's when the faith starts to grow in you for your day. For your day. So I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. This may be speaking to the preaching to the choir. I understand that. But there's always more. There's always more. There's always more relationship. There's always, we can always grow in this. So Father, I just ask wherever each one of us, you care about each one individually in this room, wherever anyone is, Father, I pray for a closer relationship with you. A close relationship, Father. May we all be able to say that we are friends of you. May we have this blessing of Abraham on our lives, Lord. And may we, may we live out the vision. May we be like lilies and live out the vision that you have for our lives, Father. Father, you are a good dad, and we are so grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. So, okay. So, if you need prayer, please consider getting it. Um,